one. Welcome to Splash Play. We are back. We did our NFL draft extravaganza last week, but now we are going to dig into it. That's right, Chris. The winners and the losers. Has anyone thought of this concept for a post-draft show? I think it's completely unique here, and I'm honestly flustered by how I look completely like a ghost compared to old Miami tan Peter Overzed here, but we are going to rally to go team by team here, give out one winner or one loser for each team, and we are also going to preview what we have coming up here, our big summer project, a.k.a. Killing Time Until Training Camp. We're going to rewatch ESPN's classic, reviled, NFL-canceled show, Playmakers, week by week here. So stay tuned. Let's get into Splash Play now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our first post-NFL draft edition of Splash Play, where now we are just counting day, counting down the days until the regular season kicks off and we can finally know whether we were right or wrong about all these guys. But I am Chris Baggs, joined once again by a man who you are seeing uh, probably for the fifth or sixth time this week on his own YouTube channel. You're also seeing him on the Splash Play channel. He's Peter Overzet. How are you doing, Big Money Miami Pete? Yeah, you know what they uh, everyone's calling me Big Money Miami Pete now. You know, I'm still trying to kind of get acclimated with that new nickname, but it is growing on me. Uh yeah, it was uh it was weird to do a trip. Uh I haven't, you know, it's like all the past 15 months. Like I never get behind on things cuz I'm always at my computer. So this was a a weird week of scrambling to catch up on stuff as I just like I'm incapable of like working remotely in a very hyper-focused way. It's like, I'm just on vacation. So I uh, was busy early in the week, but uh, now getting back on track. Did you get to sample some of that local Miami culture? I know for them, there's been uh, a lot of friends I know from New York or acquaintances, I guess more so at this point, people moving down to Miami there because they were so loose with the COVID laws initially. So did you get that taste of, did you go to Story Nightclub or hit any of the South Beach scene? <laughs> No nightclubs. Uh, the one nice thing was uh, Underdog and Jeremy had rented a really nice place. So we mainly hung out there. Uh, yes, no no nightclubs for me. You know, I am vaccinated, but I wasn't ready to uh, to quite push it uh, that far there. So no, we were we were up late doing streams for the NFL draft and all of that. And it's like, you know how it goes. You're, you're exhausted. And I'm not a young buck anymore. I can't keep up with these club goers. You can't be. Well, I guess you could use some of the performance enhancers that people in Miami are known for if you really <laughs> wanted to be big money Miami Pete. But uh, that's that's neither here nor there. But make sure you guys are following at Splash Play Pod. That's how you'll know whenever we're doing a show. We do move things around. Last week, we did the crossover episode with Ship Chasing and some of the ETR guys, guys from all over the place, Rotoviz as well. I guess let's talk about that real fast because I have to say that show was, was chaos in a way that I, I appreciate where you have so many people there and somehow holds together as a coherent product. But I have to say I was intimidated by how much these guys knew, especially, you know, obviously Pat Corain, uh, Gretsch. These are guys that we've done shows with. Pete, you've done a ton of shows with. And I, I really enjoy those guys, appreciate those guys. So sharp and so smart and definitely worth checking out Ship Chasing if you're not already watching and listening to that show in addition to this one. But Anthony Amico, I was like, this guy knew fucking everything. Like he knew everything in that draft in a way where I was like, wow, he was knowing sixth round guys that were going to bubble up to be a second round guy. Like he was all over everything in a way that Pete, I don't know that you and I could ever catch up with that level of rookie knowledge. No. And I, frankly, I don't want to catch up with that level <laughs> of rookie knowledge. I mean, Anthony had, I mean, regarded by even the best people in the business, like, you know, Evan Silva, they were like, he has the best betting card, you know, because at the end of the day, it's an information game for those prop bets. And he was just hounding it on top of him. So yeah. And Pat obviously doing his deep dives uh, for his ETR dynasty ranks over there. So that's the beauty about having friends that are willing to put in the work is then we can just kind of be on a show with them and look intelligent by association while not doing the work ourselves. It was honestly tough for me because there were a few things that they were talking about that I, I'd say I disagreed with a little bit, not enough to obviously to like try to derail the show. People were talking about things and being excited, but there were a few things where they're like, Oh yeah, you know, like having, um, having Jamar chasing the Bengals off and still going to help it out. And I was like, I don't know that I believe that based on the principles that like I know where they're a team that plays slow in the volume when it does constrict, it's sort of tough to then predict where, you know, the Cowboys would be the example where we had big Michael Gallup games. We had big Amari Cooper games. We had big uh, CD lamb games, but they weren't there every week. And I think that's something too, where it's so hard to predict at this point of the year where, yeah, like can Zach Taylor completely overhaul the offense and make it different? Can, uh, can Kyle Shanahan do the same for San Francisco? I think that's the part where I'm like, 
man, I'm curious who's going to be right here because you could sort of all, you know, talk about the stuff in theory. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to coaches and the, and the often dumb shit that they do. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, is we're often talking about things through both a redraft lens and a dynasty lens. I mean, Jamar Chase is a prospect, like it's hard to find a blemish on his resume as far as like what his career is going to look like. But then, yeah, then you get into the debates more of like, is he going to warrant, you know, a fifth or sixth round draft pick this year? And so I think those are kind of the interesting conversations. Um, I do think though, with prospects like that, we see the best ones really come on strong late in the season when you're trying to win the best ball championships, your fantasy leagues. It's those young, exciting rookies who really have the chance to be league winners. And then the question is like with Jonathan Taylor last year, can you survive the first eight weeks of the season when the production is just subpar, but knowing you're going to have the hammer in the playoffs? Yeah, and sometimes it's circumstantial too, where if Marlon Mack were healthy all year, maybe we don't see Jonathan Taylor get that run. And I think that's the kind of thing that comes uh, becomes tough to, to weigh when you are looking at things this far in advance. But but shout out to the ship chasing guys and all the other guys on there. Uh, make sure you're checking out all their content as well, because uh, it was honestly a room, I think, of some of the sharpest people that we have. And uh, maybe not the same notoriety as the Evan Silvas or or I guess Matthew Berry's of the world out there. Uh, but guys, I think on the come up, and I was very impressed to be a part of that. So check out that show if you want to relive the draft magic. And also make sure you are subscribing to the podcast as well on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That is, we're obviously on YouTube here on Peach Channel, on the Splash Play channel as well. So subscribe there, but we want to make sure we get the podcast numbers to keep going up. So make sure to check that out and give us five stars and a review if you can. Just obviously helps us out a bunch to get seen by more people. But Pete, this week we're going to do our winners and losers. So let's just get into it. And I think we should go alphabetically here because that's the best way I know how to do it. I think we could start with Arizona. And I have to say for me, you know, winners and losers in this one, we're obviously not going to be as well versed some of the defensive guys. But I'll say the winner for this one was Zayvon Collins. I don't know if you saw that clip that came out where they showed uh, the GM, Steve Kime, and then also the uh, the owner, Michael Bidwell, calling Zayvon Collins, Zayvon Collins being like, we're going to fucking kill everybody. And I really enjoyed that. So he's going to be my winner here because the rest of the guys from a fantasy perspective, Rondale Moore, like I think you could only say there are losers there if he has a bigger role. Uh, so for me, Zayvon Collins in that viral video would be my winner. Can our, our, our can our winners be the rookies themselves, or do you want it to be existing? It could, it could be anything. It could be okay. any part you want at all. It could be even just a joke thing. I just yeah. let's keep it extra broad. I think I actually think Rondell Moore is a winner in that I think there's like a couple of teams he could have gone to that would have been like the best possible fits and outside of like the Chiefs and the Bills and like the other Uber offenses. I think the Cardinals are the perfect fit. They run four wide offenses. They love using the slot. And he's basically going to be what they wanted Andy Isabella to be. I think he's going to produce right away. So yeah, I think Rondell Moore, big time winner. Yeah, I think I one of this, those spots for me where I cons- would be concerned about the volume. I guess if you think AJ Green is anything left, that's going to change the equation a bit more. And you have Christian Kirk continuing to evolve. And I think there are some ways that it doesn't look great for Rondale more initially. But I think as a flyer, certainly a guy there in a high octane offense that stands to pass a little bit more can definitely have some upside. For Atlanta, I think the big winner here is going to be just, I would say, I would hope here fantasy football fans where I think Kyle Pitts being as part of this offense. And I think especially if you do see a Julio Jones trade, I'm not the most confident in that. But overall, this offense to me is one now you could target every week. I don't know that the defense is going to be a lot better. That was really, to me, the main thing that drove the Falcons value up last year where they were playing from behind every single game. Matt Ryan had some fantastic numbers for parts of the year. But I think the only way this offense could be sustained is that that defense is bad again. And I didn't see them making enough changes here where the guys they added for defense, like not names that were the, the biggest household names, they went with offense up top. I think this is another year, Pete, where Atlanta is going to be the offense to beat. Yeah, I would say Matt Ryan, the big winner here. Uh you know, when we're drafting in fantasy, we often want the mobile quarterback. So Matt Ryan is a guy whose value has kind of started to drop. But now when you have him rolling out the Kyle Pitts, Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley offense, I mean, he has a chance to kind of do what Tom Brady did last year, which is have a massive fantasy season without rushing just because they're so efficient in the red zone with all of those great uh, end zone targets. Um, let's go into Baltimore here. I would say the the loser of this one to me will be Rashad Bateman. I just don't think they're going to pass more. I find it hard to believe that all of a sudden they're going to decide, hey, let's start throwing the ball more. You still have other guys until you still have poor Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. They're dying for targets like they are in a desert looking for water. And I would say that's going to keep being the case for Baltimore. And I think they keep showing these signs of, hey, we want to throw more. But in reality, you actually have to throw more to throw more. And I don't think like, that's going to be the case. So I would say that Bateman's going to be a loser out of this. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm more on the pro Bateman side, but I think 
everyone can agree that it is better for Lamar Jackson. I mean, they invested in Rashad Bateman, the other guy, Tylen Wallace, who a lot of the draft heads thought was one of the better kind of sleeper prospects as well. You know, they're clearly not happy with what they've received from Marquise Brown, kind of the revolving door at wide receiver with the Willie Thomas or Willie Sneeds and Devin Duvernay's. So I think adding these two um, exciting prospects is, is good and it gives them the flexibility to go more pass heavy if they want, even if that's not the most likely outcome. All right, on to Buffalo now. And I think the winner for this one to me is going to be Gabriel Davis, a guy who is no John Brown and Tony anymore. So that role clears up a little bit. And, and I guess to give people a little bit of, of a view on how I like to approach things for the most part, <laughs> Lou Sherman in the chat saying you have to throw more to throw more. That is uh, one of my core principles of, of uh, football in general and fantasy football. But sometimes I feel like people, Phil B being another guy in the chat, I'm seeing right now saying uh, that we're, uh, I think it was he talking about Bateman or somebody else might have been more saying that he's the second best wide receiver right away. That may be true, but it's still about these guys being able to step into a role. I think that's what Buffalo has now where Gabriel Davis me is going to be stepping into that wide receiver three role that we saw have pretty big production week to week. For the most part, he gets another year of seasoning. The biggest jump that guys usually make at receivers year one to year two. I think Gabriel Davis is a pretty big winner. And I would say a sneaky play where if Cole Beasley does end up getting hurt, and we know that's not a crazy thing in the all, like at all. I think that Gabriel Davis could actually be a, you know, potentially a wide receiver too this year. Yeah, I'm actually just going to co-stamp the Gabriel Davis one. I mean, you look at the current ADP for dynasty drafts, not a single player in the first three rounds uh, is from Buffalo. You know, they didn't invest uh, much capital in skill position players. Gabriel Davis, the young guy that whose role was already growing toward the end of last year. So yeah, I think he's definitely the best uh, fantasy winner in that offense. All right, Carolina up next. And I would say the winner here, based on some of the guys they took, where you have Terrace Marshall coming in, a guy who I think people, there are some people who would have argued earlier in the draft process that he might have been as good of a prospect as Jamar Chase, who obviously went a lot higher. They also took Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame, a tight end who should open things up a little bit more on the offense, or at least give them some more versatility on offense after they didn't get much out of the tight end position last year. I think the big winner is Sam Darnold, where this is now the spot where he has Robbie Anderson, he's got DJ Moore, he's got a ton of weapons, has Christian McCaffrey hopefully coming back healthy. There is no excuse now for Sam Darnold. So maybe you could say he's a loser in this too, where now he has no excuse like he has for the last few years. But I think this is a situation where if Darnold is going to be a good pro playing in this offense, this Joe Brady offense, playing in a, a vertical offense too, that wasn't quite as vertical as it could have been last year with Teddy Bridgewater. This is Sam Darnold's do or die time. So I hope he's a winner, but I think it could easily go either way for him. Yeah, no, I, I do think Sam Darnold, definitely the winner over those guys. I think you could make a case too that Robbie Anderson, you know, might start to be the loser here if Terrace Marshall starts to come on and eat into his role a little bit there as well. And also Chubba Hubbard, kind of a loser there too, hoping for a better landing spot. If Chubba Hubbard goes to the Jets or something like Michael Carter, then all of a sudden he has a path to carries right out of the gate, but he's going to be a pure handcuff there. So I think these rookies, we're going to have to sit and wait, but Sam Darnold definitely benefits. All right, Chicago up next, and I think they are just overall, I would say the team, the fan base, really, they're the winners here because they finally have a quarterback. I know we beat the Justin Fields drum on this show and we had uh, Josh Norris on. We also talked about it a lot on the ship chasing splash play. Everybody else crossover show last week, but I love Justin Fields. I think he's the best deep ball thrower in the draft. I know. I think there were some interesting points those guys raised where he didn't run as much in college as you'd like to see, but I think that could be more of a system thing. Uh, you know, I, I think that's always something that could be malleable depending upon what we're looking at. They did force or they're Try to get Mitch Trubisky to run more last year. I think you're going to see the same thing in Chicago where why wouldn't you want Justin Fields to run a bit more given that you know, Matt Nagy might not be the best coach in the world, but is a guy who is at least up on things across the league. So I think Justin Fields here, to me, he is, I think, a potential top fantasy QB pick as long as we know he's going to be starting to, to kick off the year here and uh, not Andy Dalton, not doing that thing where he's a placeholder. But I think really the Bears here, having a QB you could root for, like I, if I were a Bears fan, I would have bought that Fields jersey on day one the second that pick came in. Yeah, and I think Allen Robinson here is uh, mm. the biggest winner. Obviously, we still don't know what Justin Fields is going to be. Like, it's very hard to project quarterback success. Uh, but on paper, Fields looks like he will be Allen Robinson's best quarterback that he's ever played with. So I think Allen Robinson, uh, he's sitting there right now, crossing his fingers, clutching his rosary beads, just <laughs> praying that he is better than, you know, Blake Bortles and Mitch Trubisky. So yeah, Allen Robinson tentatively 
the winner for the Bears. That that's one that actually I didn't think about because I'm just so excited for Fields and honestly happy for the Bears fans that I know from uh, some of the guys I used to work with at Barstool are, are very big Bears fans. I was happy to see them finally get a QB after basically being you know, drugged through the ringer for years. But um, I would say that you know to me you're probably right that Allen Robinson. I mean, like at this point, he's got to be a top five wide receiver, and I think where you're ranking him and and to me, I think you can make the case if you get him you know in the right situations, it wouldn't shock me if he were a top three guy. Top three overall? Yeah, uh, wide receiver. Wow. Yeah, that might still be spicy for me. I think there's still a handful of guys I would I would definitely take over him. And I guess the other thing, too, is like these rookie quarterbacks sometimes have different styles in that some like to lock in on their number one receiver. Or, you know, is he going to be more like of a rusher? Is, you know, is he good enough where he can go through his progressions and that he's not force feeding it to him? So, yeah, I think there's some guesswork there. But, yeah, you can't uh, deny that Allen Robinson is a top wide receiver talent. Ricky Geiger in the chat saying Fields was asked to not run in college in the big games. He wasn't hurt. He was a monster rushing it. It just never happened. And I think that's the way that I'm going, Ricky, too. So, yeah, Fields, to me, a big beneficiary. Now, Robinson, I think, I'm um, just a guy who's been dominating. He was like a 10 target per uh, per game guy. And I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but in that ballpark and uh, contested catch rate is up there with anybody out there. Like, I think there's a lot of upside here for Allen Robinson. So uh, that'll be one of my flags I'll plant early on. Cincinnati up next. They got Jamar Chase in the first round. And I think, to me, the big winner here, well, I guess you could say, too, I think Joe Mixon is sort of a refracted winner where you have no Giovanni Bernard there anymore. That's going to open up some more pass game work for him. I don't know that Chris Evans is going to get a ton of work there. Might be better off sticking to the Marvel movies, huh, Pete? But I would say <laughs> overall in Cincinnati, I think this offense is going to benefit Joe Burrow in a lot better ways. They didn't get him the protection you'd like to see. They did take uh, the offensive tackle in the second round, so maybe that's uh, as good of a play as taking a Penny Sewell in the first round over Jamar Chase. But I think to me, Joe Burrow just having another weapon I don't think the weapons will be consistently productive week in and week out where I think you'll see that big Tyler Boyd week, big Jamar Chase week, big T Higgins week. But I do think to me, Burrow is going to benefit. And then Joe Mixon just getting more goal line touches and more pass game work uh, from the pass game, both having more success, you know, getting him to the goal line more. And also just him, you know, getting those Giovanni Bernard dump offs. I think those guys are really the big winners to me. Yeah, I was going to say, I think most people's reaction would be Joe Burrow, which I, I definitely agree with, with those weapons. But I think Joe Mixon is the secret big winner. Gio Bernard finally out of there. You look at the backs on their depth chart, no one who's going to be a threat to really catch passes. And that was kind of the thing that was hurting his monster ceiling upside was Gio coming in in those hurry up situations. So now that uh, they have an offense where teams can't stack the box and Joe Mixon should be getting all the pass catch work, he seems like... Uh, a value right now, at least in the best ball drafts where I'm seeing his ADP still kind of late first, early second. Uh, next up, the Cleveland Browns. And honestly, I don't have much of a read here. It's, they took a little bit of everybody. Nobody that jumped out is particularly impressive to me in a way where like Odell Beckham, I think Jarvis Landry, um, Nick Chubb, uh, Kareem Hunt, all going to be dominant parts of that offense. I guess to me, those guys are the winners really is that the, the stalwarts, they're the guys that were there last year. And Odell in particular, maybe not having another high octane receiver coming in and potentially pretending him being traded out of town, I think is one thing. So I would just say the guys who are on the Browns right now, there's nobody they took who I think, oh, this guy's coming for your spot. So I think that's probably the winner here. Yeah, I, I was trying to, I guess another one would maybe be like a Rashad Higgins, you know, a guy that was really coming on late. Uh, they don't add any young wide receivers to really come in and steal that work for him. So yeah, uh, they, they pretty much held firm just kind of with their skill position guys. Uh, I still think Higgins is a, you know, an above average, probably underrated wide receiver who, if they continue to get in some of those shootouts like they did last year, he'll be very productive again. All right, Denver's big winner. I think the big winner here has to be Drew Locke because, A, they brought in Teddy Bridgewater, who to me is just kind of the competition you bring in and then have him lose the job so Drew Locke gets some more confidence going. Or if Drew Locke is completely terrible in uh, the training camps and then the preseason, then they can go, hey, if, you know, we'll just go to Bridgewater then. Drew Locke, you sit, and then maybe you'll come back a little more fire in your belly and go off. But I think Drew Locke, to me, they've been a guy who they've invested enough capital in. They didn't take that first-round QB, even though they definitely could have. I know Trey Lance is the guy uh, they were linked to and if he were there the rumors were that they would have taken him but obviously he was not there uh, but to me I think Drew Locke getting another year here he was a guy that threw the ball deep downfield ran a little bit and I think to me he did show signs of I don't want to be too uh, hyperbolic here but like a flash like a sliver of Josh Allen in terms of what I saw where he wasn't accurate throwing the deep ball but he was throwing it he has the weapons to be there I think Drew Locke could actually take a big step forward just because they didn't bring in somebody who can actually unseat him here so I think to me Drew Locke is the winner 
Yeah, the the Broncos, I, I'm just going to say that they were all losers. Like, n- unless they have something in their back pocket for Aaron Rodgers or whatever, I mean, passing up on the quarterback there, you know, get going and drafting a running back at that spot. Um, even even Seth Williams, who a lot of, uh, I know, Gretsch and, uh, and Corain were super excited about him. He falls all the way to the sixth round and is now kind of in a log jam with pass catchers there. So uh, I'm going to say everyone on the Broncos in the front office with these decisions were losers in this draft. It's fair enough. And uh, it's shocking that the John Elway helmed offense. I guess I guess he's still not the GM now, but but still, I'm sure he's got some say there. And he just continues to to crush the organization that brought him so much fame and fortune and championships. Uh, Detroit, though, uh, Detroit, the big winner for this one, I think has to be Jared Goff. There's just no competition for him that they brought in here. I think he even said the same to the media that he took it as a, a co-sign or a sign of faith or whatever his phrasing was that he used maybe a little bit of a shot at Aaron Rodgers, too, in the Packers front office and what they haven't shown in terms of faith there. But I think, too, Getting Amon St. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown in the mix from USC, a guy who I've seen enough of as a USC alum to think that he's a, a, a like a, just a lot of muscle on that guy. So he's going to be, a, I think, a very durable slot receiver. But B, you go from Danny Amendola to an Amon Ross St. Brown, and I think there are some Cooper Cup parallels where we know Goff likes to target the slot. I think they got him the best weapon they could. I think they gave him something here to work with in terms of getting Penny Sewell. Like Jared Goff is going to have a good pathway to succeed, other than the fact that he's now not going to have one of the greatest offensive minds in the league in his earpiece anymore. Yeah, I I wrote in the Fantasy Life newsletter on Friday that the two biggest winners were TJ Hawkinson and Matthew Stafford. And you'll notice Matthew Stafford doesn't play for the Lions anymore. And I write that newsletter. I wrote it all throughout the season. I never get feedback about it on Twitter. You know, people just read emails and move on. I got eight DMs about my Matthew Stafford uh, mistake in there. So I finally figured out that the only way to get people to engage with what I write in the newsletter is to just make them feel smart for pointing out a mistake I made. Uh, But yes, along with Goff, I think TJ Hawkinson, a big winner, just no one to really compete for targets there in a meaningful way. And he still was uh, one of the better tight end prospects. The draft capital was there. So yeah, I'm hoping we know Goff likes to feed the tight end. We saw it with Higby. So I think Hawkinson is going to be set up for a really big year. I'm um, also Sam hopping in the chat and another guy who was doing a great job on that stream last week. So go check out Sam on Twitter too. What about Swift improve O-line and no carry on? I agree that that's actually probably a, a benefit. I guess the downside to me of Swift is that you're going to have Goff back there. And if Goff is as bad Goff, then uh, that could certainly take a, a downward turn for Swift as a result, but uh, more checkdowns for Swift. I think Swift is a winner too, but to me, I think just Goff is the bigger winner because he's going to get a chance whether he fails or not. I think that that's what stands out to me, but what do you think about Swift here, Pete? I know you've always, you've been one of the longest term Swifties I know. Yeah. I mean, the, I do think that carry on uh, getting released is, is a big thing because he was kind of the one that was getting the pass catching work. It was one of those things last year where it was one of those dreaded three-way committees and it was very gross for Deandre Swift's breakout. So if we can get that down to a two man committee and get him taking kind of the leap in that offense with a few more targets, I think he's um, again, he's a guy I've been drafting in the third, fourth round uh, of best ball drafts because he seems like he should be a little higher up than that. Yeah, I think just the one thing is that you're depending on Jared Goff. So that is now something that uh, poor DeAndre Swift and the Lions fans can hopefully it turns out well for him. I think Goff seems like a nice guy based on the limited knowledge I have of him and watching Hard Knocks. Uh, Green Bay, the winners in this one. I, boy, it's a tough one. I don't know what the winners in Green Bay are. Uh, the losers, I think, is just the Green Bay organization because they are now handcuffed by whatever is going to go on here. It does seem like they are prepared to prolong this and drag it out as long as possible. Aaron Rodgers maybe wants to be a Jeopardy host, maybe wants to be closer to his girlfriend and hang out with his now famous L.A. friend. Um, I will say the loser overall, just over this last week of Aaron Rodgers, is going to be Aaron Rodgers himself, where I think you can poke a lot of holes in just like him as a human being now in a way where people have always done over the years. There's certainly been lots of people enjoying making certain rumors that we don't make jokes about in 2021 anymore, but that's always been one of the things with him. And now uh, there are lots of things that with Rodgers, I think, coming out that uh, no pun intended, that I think are going to look less favorably upon him. So Aaron Rodgers, to me, I think, unless he gets a destination he wants, this is just setting up to be a very ugly situation going into training camp. Yeah, I'm going to give Green Bay the same treatment as kind of the Broncos, just like you, where I feel like the entire organization uh, lost this draft. I, I just don't know how you botch, you know, year after year, not getting Rodgers some weapons, not appeasing him more. I know they draft Amari Rodgers there, but he's not a guy that's going to move the needle for that offense. And so, yeah, if they if they blow this with Rodgers, uh, 
and it looks like they are, uh, I don't know how you don't make them the overall losers here. Houston Texans, another organization where we can just give them the loser crown for themselves, but um, they are a team that I would say the winner is going to be uh, Brandon Cooks and Dante Moncrief, two guys who are going to get their chance. Your Brandon Cooks more the beneficiary where you're losing Will Fuller in this offense. I think that does make Cooks uh, the more reliable deep ball guy. I don't know that I have the confidence that they have the guys in tow with a Tyrod Taylor and Davis Mills if you don't get uh, Deshaun Watson playing and who knows how that's going to go now. Uh, the Texans organization, I think, is going going to be a loser here, but I would say the winner is just Brandon Cooks getting volume, getting as many deep targets as you want. Probably a defense is going to be trailing a lot as well. I think there's a lot of positives here for Brandon Cooks, and it's a very ugly organizational situation. Can't believe you mentioned Dante Moncrief over my guy, Chris Conley, uh, oh, now on the Texans. Yeah, no, this one, this one's so sad. Like I, I do my, the randomizer prompts and last year, like one of the punishments was like the default team that you had to draft from as a punishment was the Jags. And I've, I've gone through and updated those now to the Texans for this year, because it does just seem like truly the least exciting um, environment from a fantasy perspective. I guess the only thing that we can hold out hope for is that they end up in a lot of those negative game script, like blowouts like they did last year. And they're just forced to pass a ton. So yeah, I could see all those wide receivers kind of having some of those big garbage time fantasy games. And uh, yeah, the organization is in disarray right now. All right, Indiana, Indianapolis, rather. They're they're up next, and I would say the winner of this one, it's sort of tough to say this uh, given the week, so the, this is not a dark joke I'm making here, but a uh, sad situation with Sam Ellinger's uh, brother there going, uh, taking his, I, did he take his own life? I just saw that he died. I don't know that he took his own life, but I did read some of the stories about him being a surrogate dad to him, a lot of stuff there. Um, so hopefully he's going to make his brother proud here, because I think Sam Ellinger has a very good shot here to end up as a Colts starting QB at some point this year. I think there's probably good hope or reason to have hope. They can salvage Carson Wentz and get something out of him. I think uh, the Frank Right connection there is certainly a thing, but if that doesn't work out and if they do have to go a different direction, I also think Frank Reich won't have an issue going another way here. Or even, you know, when Philip Rivers is there, they were willing to bring in Jacoby Brissett, so just throw Hail Marys. And I think that was something that, hey, we know what your weaknesses are. We know what we can get out of you. We know what we can't. If they can't get enough out of Carson Wentz, I think Ellinger could see a, some uh, field time pretty fast. It's going to say court time. Then that's that's my NBA brain going right now. But, but Ellinger, I think a guy that I've been intrigued by at Texas and I think could actually be in a really good offensive situation with a coach who will mold him to what he wants him to be. And I think that's a pretty good winner for me. Yeah, I, uh, I think Jonathan Taylor, uh, probably to, uh, a winner there in Indianapolis. We're talking Indianapolis, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, they didn't add a lot that moved the needle for me otherwise, but I think with Wentz coming in, they didn't add other wide receivers. I think this team clearly wants to continue running the ball. And I just always get excited about these rookies with that pedigree, that flash in year one that we didn't even get a chance to see them have like a true three down workhorse role, which we know Jonathan Taylor's capable of. So yeah, I mean, he's being drafted at that kind of assumption right now. He's going, you know, 105, 16. Uh, I think it's warranted. And uh, I think he has one of the profiles to be one of those special backs that we're always kind of chasing at the top of our draft. So yeah, I'll, I'll say JT is a winner here. I also have to give us some credit. We're making really good time on this right now in a way that we normally don't. So kudos to us. I think we really have grown in our into our skin as broadcasters. Yeah, we're a little bit more polished. Uh, I mean, I guess when we did the man's show, we did have the power hour clock to try to keep us on schedule, but we now have kind of our own internal uh, professional broadcaster clock humming right now. Yeah, we're like quarterbacks in the pocket where you know you got to get rid of that ball in three seconds flat at, at most. And uh, that's where we are with these ones. So we appreciate you guys being here again. Hit that like button. Make sure you are subscribed to Splash Play on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. And throw us five stars interview. Really does help us out a bunch. And make sure you're following at Splash Play Pod too. If you want any bonus for following us on there, we will follow you back. That is something that I will do until the day I die is just follow back everybody on there and then be secretly disappointed when they're using us to boost their follower counts. That's So we get like hockey podcasts that follow us. And I'm like, I know what you're doing here. And I'll give you the follow, but if you want to follow us, you will fear my wrath. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. What is the wrath? Because I'm sure people could exploit this very generous follow back offer and then try to ghost us. Are, are we hunting people down and unfollowing that then unfollow so us? The, 
the wrath is a site called who unfollowed.me and I go to that once every, whenever I remember to do it. <laughs> I just auto unfollow anybody who unfollowed us throughout that process because uh, look, we're I, I have to be vindictive vindictive because Pete's not vindictive, so one of us has to be the bad cop yeah. when it comes to it. No, 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 I'm I'm with you on the vindictiveness if you follow for that <laughs> There's actually people in the uh in the fantasy space. I think there's probably everywhere that try that trick where it's like, oh, I'll follow you, you follow me back, and then you're like, gotta get my ratio looking nice, hit the unfollow there. I mean, just be a class act and mute the person. Don't don't unfollow. Exactly. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's just it's poor manners. And here here's an example. Jesse Scott Simpson in the chat saying no ghosting for him. He followed us from the fantasy millionaires handle. I'm going to assume. And you know what, my friend, you are getting a follow right now. So there we go. That is me proving the concept as we are live on the show. And if anybody actually know, I follow. He actually just followed me directly. So now that is me following somebody from my handle. Hold on. Let's Ooh, go. <laughs> uh oh. And now I'm locked in and I can't unfollow that guy ever. That's. <laughs> That's how it goes. Wow, you you tricked him. Uh, very nice. Well played, Jesse. Uh, but actually, no, I'm, I've followed him now on both my personal handle and on the Splash Play handle because he did follow both. So that's, again, it's a community here. We we are rewarding everybody with my my attention span, my very fleeting attention span. Remember when we said we were going to stay on track? And then, <laughs> <boom>. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, that's how it goes, Pete. We were so on track that I knew we can get off track. Jacksonville, the big winner in this. Actually, you know what? This is one where I like what they're building here. I get what Urban Meyer's doing. I'm not, he's getting a lot of talent in the door. And unfortunately for the LaVisca Chanel's of the world, I think that's going to make a squeeze here. But the cream will rise to the top. I do have to say, though, the guy who I feel bad for, that I'm upset about, that I think is a loser in this situation, is James Robinson, who was just fantastic last year. And he was a guy I took a flyer on and a bunch of best ball things that I did. And um, I took him and who was he, who was the other one who was a consideration? Was it Ozigbo? I think it was Ozigbo, right? Yeah, yeah, they had Ozigbo. It is it's brutal. I mean, he does everything they ask of him last year: stacked boxes, negative game scripts. You know, no one giving him a chance as a UDFA, and absolutely crushes. And how do they reward him by drafting Trevor Lawrence's teammate? Like, you're you're a USC guy. It reminded me of when. And I think I said this on another show, but when OJ Mayo got, uh, was it Little Romeo, a scholarship at USC? And it was just like the kind of blatant, I don't, I guess it's like a version of nepotism there. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm upset for James Robinson. I mean, he did everything a running back asks. Why not roll that out again? And I think showed too, you know, in a lot, maybe he shined too bright of a light on the fungibility of running backs and he could bring a guy in and give him 20 touches a game and he's probably going to be useful as long as he's, you know, vaguely competent. But I agree, like him carrying the water for a team that had no intentions to win him getting like 30 touches down the stretch too in games that didn't matter, risking his own injury, his own career. It sucks. And I, I'm rooting for James Robinson. I, I think Travis Etienne's going to be the more talented guy. Hopefully he gets used more in a third down back role. I would, I would hope is sort of what it goes to, but uh, James Robinson to me just did everything you ask for as a player and uh i don't know i think it's one of those spots where i would have liked to see him be rewarded for that but urban meyer doesn't know anybody anything coming in so i get it uh for kansas city the, the winner here is just that they'll have i guess a better offensive line next year hopefully and then they have the same thing here there's really no winners or losers for kansas city i guess uh for me i just think they are they're doing what they do we know they're going to be good next year yeah, uh, didn't uh, waste another pick on a running back this year. Uh, I guess uh, maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a little bit of a winner and then he gets another crack at this again after underwhelming last year. But yeah, it's just business as usual for the Chiefs. All right, the, the Chargers here are a team that I think the winner is going to be I think it has to be Justin Herbert just because they got Rashawn Slater, who I think you could have made the case that he and Penny Sewell were basically the same level prospect. And not that I'm, you know, grinding offensive line tape that hard, but that seems to be the assessment that I felt enough sharp people out there had. Uh, so, so I think to me, you know, Herbert here, not getting uh, any weapons that I'm crazy intrigued by Josh Palmer. I know I think got some fans on Twitter. Um, I think Trey McKitty coming in is a, a fun name that I didn't even know <laughs> existed, but I do like the name McKitty sounds adorable. And I think very pettable, uh, but I would say besides that, Herbert just getting a little more protection is going to be helpful. And you just hope he continues to evolve. And that's sort of all the charges really needed. Yeah, I'll say I'll say Eckler, you know, with that same logic of beefing up the mm -hmm. offensive line, they didn't add any running backs of note. Like we got the Justin Jackson and Josh Kelly experience last year, and it was nothing to write home about. 
Uh, they want Eckler to be on the field as much as possible. No one's stealing his pass catching work. They even like him at the goal line. Now the offensive line is getting better. Justin Herbert in another year uh, of confidence in the system. I think Eckler is a smash pick. And another guy who's early ADP in best ball drafts was like, oddly low, like late second. I'm now seeing people be more aggressive in drafting him late first. I think he's in the conversation there to be like a mid to late first round pick. All right, let's go on to the Rams here. And I think the winner for this one, this is a guy that I just think is a winner overall. The offseason to me might be one of the uh, three to five biggest winners of all that. That feels like another Bill Simmons segment. Who are the top three to five biggest winners of the NFL offseason? But I do think Matthew Stafford is one of the big winners here where he gets another weapon in Tudu Atwell, who's going to be a guy that's a little small. And I think to me, that's the issue where not giving him the winner title here is that I don't know that he can run a bunch of routes out there and just, you know, get that exposure to me. It does feel more like a gadget player. Just another dude who's got some speed who Stafford can throw to down the field who when the attention is going to be keying in on Robert Woods and Cooper Cup you can go to Atwell and I think that to me is something that's appealing you know assuming he can get run amidst the guys that they're going to have out there but I think to me uh, Matthew Stafford is just going to be in a really good spot with the Rams where he's going to not be able to run which is I think one thing Sean McVay would have liked but in terms of being a deep ball thrower he is going to throw a lot of deep balls in this offense and I think uh, there's nothing that they did in the draft that's going to make me feel otherwise. Yeah, uh, I guess this didn't wasn't impacted at all by the draft, uh, but I do think Higby is still one of the biggest winners in the offense with Gerald Everett out. I mean, the whole thing had always been, you know, these guys are splitting time, splitting snaps, uh, both really solid players, and we saw what Higby could do with a full workload down the stretch. And because we don't know if an Atwell or uh, um, what's his face, Van Jefferson are going to be able to emerge. I think Higby is going to be locked and loaded there as a top, you know, three target option in that offense. Also, this just made me laugh here, but Coney Dog in the chat saying McKitty McRib was bad enough. And I think that's a unfair to the McRib. But, you know, if, if McDonald's wants to start frying up cats as part of their process, I, I wouldn't be the happiest. But you know who would be happy, Pete? A man that I like to call Alf. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Yeah. You talking about frying up cats. I knew we'd get there to the cancellation <laughs> point. Uh, PETA, we already have uh, WWE on our heels and now PETA is uh, going to come after Splash Play. Well, they would only come after us if we live streamed a cat being fried, which I don't think we would do. That feels a little bit off brand even for us. Yeah. I mean, you know, the age old cats and versus dogs debate really heats up on Splash Play. <laughs> Uh, the Raiders, the winner for them, I think is going to be Henry Ruggs just because they did not add anybody at wide receiver who I think can absorb uh, the production that Aguilar leaves behind. And I think this is going to be Ruggs' spot to assert himself. Like, I, I don't get what they did at the draft. And if I'm saying this correctly, they drafted three safeties, <laughs> which just seems like a very John Gruden thing to do. Um, I, I don't know what that means, but I will say that to me, Henry Ruggs is the winner just from getting that volume up. Yeah, I mean, they did bring in John Brown, which I think is going to yeah, be an interesting thing for Ruggs. But yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that Ruggs can um, take that leap again because, man, Nelson Aguilar put him right on the bench last year. I, I'll go on that same logic just because I think Ruggs and Brown might have a little bit more of skill set overlap. And I'll say Brian Edwards, another winner who I think can benefit by them not adding any other wide receivers this year. And then the, the running back situation is just going to be an absolute mess with Drake and Jacob splitting early down work. You still have Richard and theoretic there on pass downs. Uh, so yeah, I, I think uh, what we can bank on is some of those guys in the passing game. All right. For Miami, I think the winner, you know, actually I'm going to give this one a loser. I think the loser in this one is going to be Tua Tagovailoa, where I don't think he's going to. No. What, what is this hot take? The loser after they bring in <laughs> Fuller and then draft Waddle? He's the loser? He's the loser because he's not going to be able to get them the ball and they're going to be less productive as a result. That's going to shine a light upon the bane of fantasy football that Tua Tagovailoa is going to be. I think that uh, to me, and obviously he's a young QB. I get, I know people are going to back him out here, but um, I, I think that Ryan, uh, that Ryan Fitzpatrick was the better QB for the team based on what I saw. And obviously, you know, skewing a little more towards fantasy production, but I think he just was less afraid to throw the ball downfield. And, and Tua did have that one game against Cardinals that maybe gives you some degree of hope that he actually can have a big upside rushing and throwing a little bit more, but I just don't have the confidence he can do it week to week. And I think the result here is that this offense is going to be impossible to predict for fantasy is going to make it very difficult for Fuller to keep the volume up for Waddle to keep the volume up for if Parker is there, if Preston Williams is there for those guys to get any volume. Gasicki, like 
I, I just don't think Tua, I don't think they want him to throw unless things have changed meaningfully in the offseason. Maybe they will. I think I could be wrong completely, but based on what I saw last year, I am not a Tua believer, and I think he's going to be exposed as a loser here. No, no, they definitely want him to throw. If they wanted to run more, they would have invested draft capital in another running back. I think Miles Gaskin is the obvious big winner in not adding anything. He was basically like the bizarro James Robinson, where he was really good when he got opportunity and the team said, hey, yeah, you can keep rolling. Uh, we don't need to bring in more competition because running backs don't matter. Uh, but I, I think they obviously want Tua to throw. They bring in Fuller. They bring in Waddle. If anything, they're saying like, here is every opportunity for you to succeed as a passer. Now it's on you. And so I do agree that the jury is still out, but the decisions they're making is that they want Tua to be successful, obviously. Uh, but I do think with these weapons, they kind of adjusted. It was you know, these guys, you know, Parker and Preston Wills Williams didn't really fit his skill set, you know, pushing the ball downfield accurately. So then you get some of these guys like Fuller and Waddle underneath that I think can hopefully make him more dynamic. And so with those four wide receivers, Gasecki, uh, I think Tua is gonna have every chance to succeed this year. And I guess that that's one way to look at it too. And I, I think you're, so here's what, here's an analogy I'm gonna make, and hopefully people will bear with me here, but and I'll and I'll be vulnerable in this spot too. Um I'm, I have a, a situation, not on a situation that sounds more serious. Pete, I have a, I'm a guy who I would say, you know, you know, the phrase shy bladder where sometimes like if you're at a stadium or something and you have those trough urinals and there's 20 people around you, 20 people behind you. I hate those so much. Cause it's like, I feel the pressure of like, okay, I'm here to pee. I have to pee right now, but I could also sense the, the eyes peering on the back of my head, waiting for not just me to pee, but also the sounds of me peeing the whole thing to get a good stream going, all that stuff. And I feel like that's what two is in this offense is he's a guy at that stall who just can't get himself to pee in this situation. And I think that's what it's going to be is that they, yeah, they wanted to throw it. And I think in training camp, you're going to be like, hear the reports that like, oh yeah, like, you know, the offense here, you're going to be high octane. And then you'll see it from game one. That it's like, no, never mind. there. Brian Flores is like, just going to lean on the defense again here. Cause Tua can't actually throw it in the way we want. That's my fear. That's my concern is that uh, Tua is just going to be left holding his dick at a urinal stall. I, I'm not going to respond to that analogy. I think we just need to let it linger. <laughs> uh, like the, like the cranberry song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, next team up, Minnesota, uh, the big winner in this one, actually the big loser in this one, I think is Kirk cousins. And I guess Kellen Mond did not make fans in Minnesota with his tweet from a couple of years ago about how he hates Minnesota, but he will be there now. And I do think our RG three had some fun quotes to the media about how Kellen Mond is everything that, uh, that Kirk cousins is not in a way that uh, was like, not meant to be derisive, but clearly was him throwing some shade. Kellen Mond is now clearly the guy that I think they're going to want to develop here, whether they do or not. I think, uh, the writing is sort of on the wall for Kirk Cousins potentially not being here too long. I do think Mon being a little more mobile, being a guy who can also hopefully throw it uh, comparably to Kirk Cousins over time. I think to me, it's just, it's a spot where Kirk Cousins, he's made so much money as a quarterback. I don't know that he could ever actually be a loser, but I do think in terms of his time with Minnesota, I feel like he is a loser out of all this. Yeah, I'll say the winner. I'll say Irv Smith in that we know what Justin Jefferson is. We know what Adam Thielen is. There has kind of been a jockeying and uh, a rotating carousel for who's going to be that third consistent option in the offense. And I think Irv Smith, you know, he's on the roadmap that we've seen for talented tight ends, but they're, they're um, works in progress. It takes a while for tight ends to get acclimated. And I think this year he kind of cements himself as that locked and loaded, you know, third receiving option for the Vikings without them bringing in any other meaningful competition. You remember that week where we were all over Irv Smith and Tyler Conklin? <laughs> for that? I was I was all over Tyler Conklin, but we did land on Irv Smith pretty early in the process. And I feel like I wouldn't say one of our biggest successes. I think we did to get some good things right in that first run of first season here that we had a splash play. But Irv Smith, I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for coming through when we when we didn't know it was even possible. Yeah, that is like a thing we see play out with tight ends. It was the same with Tennessee where we all got excited about Johnny Smith. And then it's like Anthony Ferkser is the one getting the touchdowns. And you're like, what is going on here? So yeah, that's always a risk. Uh, but I'll bet on Irv Smith over Conklin. All right, New England, I think the winner in this one, well, I guess you could say the loser to me is Cam Newton because I do think, uh, so Mac Jones, the one knock I had for him, and I think we talked about this with Josh Norris when I was going through uh, some of the numbers that I was seeing from PFF's college data export, and uh, Mac Jones to me just read like a system QB, a guy who was throwing the ball into spaces where his guys could do all the legwork. I didn't think he was throwing into tight windows from what I could see. He was throwing accurately in terms of like, you know, in a Jared Goffway, throwing accurately for routes, you know, five to seven yards, not going deep downfield. But I think in New England, that's exactly what they're going to want of him. They're 
going to want him to not be that mobile. He's not going to have to run around that much. He's also going to be more accurate than Cam Newton, I think, from day one. Uh, so to me, Mac Jones, you could sort of critique him all you want. I didn't think he was worth a number three overall pick, but they got him at 15. I think New England is a winner here, and Mac Jones is a winner for a team that will game plan to his strengths and not just leave him out there to dry. Yeah, this this offense is just... It honestly might be even more frustrating than, you know, the Texans from a fantasy perspective. It's like we have a mess at quarterback. We don't know how quickly we're going to see Mac Jones getting snaps. It's a mess at running back. It's always been a mess at running back. Then they add Ramon J. Stevenson, who some people are excited about. It's a mess at wide receiver. They bring in, you know, Bourne and Aguilar and free agency. It's a mess at tight end, you know, with, uh, with those two tight ends. So, and you can't even tell yourself a story like, say, with the Jets, where it's like, oh, these are late guys I can stack up in my fantasy leagues. Maybe they all gel together, and it's a really um, explosive offense. Like with the Pats, you know how they're going to play. You know that they want to run a ton, two tight end sets. You don't know who the quarterback is. I'm having such a hard time having any fantasy enthusiasm for the Patriots, so I will say they're all losers. Okay, I am a little more of a believer in them cobbling something together here. Just, but you know, I, I get it. I think there's certainly some reason to have uh, reservations, and uh, we'll see if Bill Belichick has that one final trick in him to to make this work. Uh, New Orleans up next, and I, I think the winner for this one is going to be Michael Thomas, just because I think he's going to get a pretty strong target load. Where um, I just don't see them. They didn't, uh, unless I'm missing something from the offseason. I might just be forgetting the Saints' moves, but they lost Emmanuel Sanders, and I don't know that they brought anybody who's going to get that volume and Jared cook too, I think also gone. So to me, just uh, looking at the draft board for them, they brought in a couple wide receivers, but a seventh round pick for Kawan Baker. I don't think is a guy you could expect to have a big role. I just think Michael Thomas goes back to having nine to 10 to 11 targets a game next year, based on at least what I'm thinking of offhand. Yeah. And it's weird. I mean, in the underdog drafts right now, you can get Michael Thomas in the third round. I mean, he was a guy that was going one Oh five, one Oh six after the top running backs were off the board last year, obviously, you know, doesn't have breeze, but I think, I mean, if it's Winston, everyone's excited about that from fantasy because of how much he'll push the ball downfield, how many, you know, plays they're going to run there. And then we even also saw it with Taysom Hill, like Taysom Hill just dialed in on Michael Thomas had an insane market share with him. So yeah, I, I think Michael Thomas is a guy that you just buy the dip. Everyone has that gross feeling left over from last year, all of his stuff in the media, but like he still is who we thought he was. And uh, yeah, like you said, there's, if anything, more targets have freed themselves up. I think it's going to be another year of the Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, just dominating targets and touches in that offense. It's one thing too, where for me, Thomas's role is going to be stagnant, whether it's Winston starting or if it's a Taysom Hill starting, because we did see Taysom Hill really targeted Michael Thomas aggressively, whereas Alvin Kamara was actually pretty deeply affected by having the mobile QB out there kind of decreasing his amount of short routes. So to me, Kamara could be a beneficiary, but I think really Thomas is the one, no matter who starts for New Orleans, is going to take a jump upwards. A real fast in the chat, I think Nick Bird made an interesting point uh, saying that he thinks that Cam is going to be a decent play this year. The locker room will be all for Cam and Mac Jones will look like a 12 year old next to Cam. Um, I think that that's a bit, it's actually a funny chat from Dylan Cassidy too. Um, I would say that for me though, with Cam, I think the issue is, and they did bring in new guys in that locker room. So maybe it won't be exactly the same, but if you played last year, just watching Cam throw, you know, worm burners, basically just ground balls to wide receivers over and over again, I think you would be like a little bit fatigued. He might be a great guy. They might love him in the locker room, but I think you just want to see somebody who could actually get the ball where it's supposed to be. And he didn't show the ability to do that. So I don't have that same faith in them just being like blindly supporting Cam. Yeah. Um, let's keep going to the Giants here. Uh, the Giants, the uh, I don't I honestly don't know who the winner is because I don't think they're going to throw anymore. They got Kadarius Tony in as their as their bootleg version of Devonta Smith, and that's fine. But I think they're all losers for the Giants. I don't have a ton of faith here. I think there is a, a going to be a very big target crush. We saw it happen last year with Darius Slayton just getting um, not even involved at all in a way that would have been helpful. And I think that to me is sort of what we could expect again for the Giants, adding more weapons, adding Galladay as well. Galladay will get fed. Everybody else here, I don't know how they get targets because they don't seem to want to have Daniel Jones you know, risking games over and over again. I think there's a team that's going to be skewing more and more towards the defense. So I think it's really a loser situation for fantasy. Yeah, I'll take Daniel Jones, just kind of the same logic with Tua, where it's like he's not, you know, a top, you know, seven or eight, you know, quarterback in the NFL. So what do you do? You surround those guys with as many weapons as possible. No one 
likes Kadarius Tony. Everyone thinks he got overdrafted, myself included. That said, it's more what is the team signaling to us that they want to give Daniel Jones as many weapons as possible. Uh, you know, I'm still hype on my guy Darius Slayton. Uh, no, but they they have so much there uh, with Galladay now in tow. I think everyone you know, agrees. Evan Ingram is still one of the better talents at the tight end position if he stays healthy for a year. So yeah, I think Daniel Jones, again, this is like a shut up or put up uh, or put up or shut up. Yeah. Put up or shut up year for him uh, with all the weapons. Cause it's, it is pretty loaded when you look at it. This may be a controversial one for the Jets, but I think the winner is going to be Zach Wilson. I I know he looks like a little boy or like a boy band guy or Justin Bieber. or I think some people have even compared him to certain ladies out there. Whatever you want to say about this beautiful bastard, Zach Wilson. I think to me, the big winner is going to be him because he's going to, I think, going to be a competent coaching situation. I'm a big believer in Robert Sala. I think that he did a good job as a, as a Niners defensive coordinator, like with situations where people thought that Richard Sherman was done. He led Richard Sherman to his best year and used him so effectively where that defense a couple of years ago to me was just incredibly noteworthy. And I think he's going to put Wilson in spots to succeed. I do have some concern that Wilson for fantasy won't be the best deep ball guy to me. You know, some of the weapons there, I know Mims is a guy who has shown the ability to get downfield, but not actually complete a ton of those catches as we can, uh, as we remember very frequently last year, but you do have Corey Davis in there. You have weapons for him to go to, even if he doesn't end up a deep ball thrower, I think he could be a competent game manager guy, or at least grow into that. So I think Zach Wilson, me is in a good spot to succeed. Other than the fact that he is a Mormon boy in the big city. I will, I will co-stamp that. Um, I think Zach Wilson, he kind of has that feel to me of the pattern of quarterbacks we've seen come in. Scouts aren't extremely high on them. They don't go to the best landing spot, but because they have the tools, the ability to run a really big arm, they can be fantasy monsters. And we've seen it with Daniel Jones, with Justin Herbert, with Josh Allen, these guys that are discounted because everyone's like, he's not the perfect quarterback prospect, but it doesn't matter for fantasy. And they now have, you know, Matt LaFer there as the OC. Like, I think this is going to be a much more dynamic offense. And I'm excited about Zach Wilson for fantasy. Wait, his brother is, you said Matt LaFleur, but his brother's Mike, Mike LaFleur, right? Mike LaFleur, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. I knew it was, I thought it, it was something similar, but I wasn't sure. And yeah, I just want to make sure we got that right before people, where people send you angry DMs. So I guess maybe that's how we get the engagement up is just <laughs> being wrong about, about the LaFleurs. I will continue to slightly uh, mistake names just for the engagement. It's the new <laughs> hack. Yeah, it's a growth hack for, for engagement that we all need right now. Philadelphia Eagles, I would say the winner in this one to me is Jalen Hurts. I think the fact that they didn't get another guy in there in the draft to me says that they are happy with the draft capital they spent on him or at least going to give it a shot to go. And then getting Devonta Smith in the mix too. Like this offense to me should have been better with Jalen Hurts than it was for the past catchers. And I, I know Devonta Smith, people have sort of critiqued him for being small, but I think he's still a guy that you throw him into space. He will get you some positive results. I think Jalen Hurts is going to know that and figure that out pretty fast and continue to, uh, to lean on him in a way that I I'm very confident in. So uh, to me, this is a spot where I like the offense overall. I think Devonta Smith's winner, but I think Jalen hurts is really the big winner here. And, and to me, a top fantasy QB barring something weird happening in the offseason where they bring in somebody who's a credible threat to him. Yeah. I'll say a loser is miles Sanders. I feel like his kind of path toward a bell cow is trending in the opposite direction of Swift. You know, they don't draft anyone. They lose carry on. Whereas here for them. They draft Kenny Gainwell, a prospect a lot of people like. They still have Boston Scott, who has been both good around the goal line and can catch passes. I just don't see pass right now to Miles Sanders being that 20 plus touch guy a game we want. And like, I really want it because I think we're all excited about Miles Sanders as a talent, but everything the team's telling us is that they're not ready to do that. Uh, let's on, go on to the Steelers here. And guys, hit that like button again. We appreciate it a bunch. Helps us get uh, the algorithm going on Peach Channel, the Splash Play Channel. So make sure you are hitting that whenever you're watching really any YouTube content out there. Um, we got the Steelers and they got Najee Harris. And I think my gut tells me that he could be the big winner here. But you still have enough running backs that they could go to that maybe there's some affinity and trust for. And if Harris has some sort of fumbling issues early, that there are some ways I think it could go south. So I will say that the winner... I mean, I, it's hard to not go to Harris, though. You take him in the first round, you got to think they're going to treat him as a bell cow because I think he's the first first round of their tickets since Rashard Mendenhall. So I'm concerned. I'm going to put some reservations out there for Harris that I do think there are some ways that, you know, if a Benny Snell, I'm assuming he's still on the roster. Some of these other guys could get the, the lead dog role or at least an appreciable chunk of it. But I'll take the G Harris just because we know what the Steelers want to do. They do want to assert some degree of dominance. And even when they don't, like James Conner was so frustrating last year, but, you know, they were clearly knew that he was going to be out of town, I think, by the time the offseason rolled around. 
Harris, they have the all the investment in him. I think they want to want to get him going early, and they took him early enough where there should be a lot of runway to do so. So I'll reluctantly slash you know cautiously take Najee Harris as my winner. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna you know do very bad TV, and I'm gonna say there's no winners and losers. It's just indifference. It's just business as usual down here. I mean, I don't think Najee Harris is a kind of running back that is so dynamic that he changed the offense. I think they're just bringing him in as a guy to put the ball in his belly and rush it, you know, 15 times a game. So I don't think he's going to transform this offense in any meaningful way. And then they roll out, you know, the the three wide receiver set that they had last year. That's very exciting for fantasy with Claypool, Juju, and Deontay Johnson. So yeah, I guess they add my guy, Pat Phil Helmuth, AKA Pat Fryermuth, uh, as a kind of a tight end that I think could be their guy there long-term once Eric Ebron, um, is out of the mix. So there's some, I guess, long-term intrigue there, but I'll say it's just the Steelers humming along until the wheels of Ben Roethlisberger completely fall off, which does feel like it could just be halfway through the season, Peyton Manning style where his arm is just done. Yeah, that would not be the most shocking thing in the world. I'm, I'm with you on that. Seattle, uh, they barely had any draft picks, so I think it's hard to say that there really is a winner here. I, I think to me, I feel like them, like you just felt about Pittsburgh, where I think it's indifference here. It's all going to depend upon if they decide to run more like they did towards the back half of the season, if they're going to allow Russ to cook again. And I'm honestly tired of it all. I think it was a weird offseason. It wouldn't shock me to see Seattle just be worse this year because I think there's a lot of bad wins swirling around with some of their moves in the offseason and some of the media reports of Wilson wanting out, then he's not wanting out, then he doesn't get traded. I don't love the look here. I think Seattle, to me, I I think they're all uh, another organizational loser. Yeah, I will. I'll go. I'll say uh, Gerald Everett is the winner. Uh, Obviously, DK Metcalf and Lockett are going to command a lot of attention. Again, it's going to be the focal point for defenses. They do add Dwayne Eskridge. I guess he could have the kind of David Moore-esque production where he finds himself wide open in the end zone on some broken plays. Uh, But I think Gerald Everett is kind of the tight end they've been looking for. They've been playing the uh, musical chairs at tight end with those guys, Will Disley, uh, Colby Parkinson, all those guys over the years. And I think Gerald Everett comes in and is an every-down player for them at tight end and he's an athlete he can catch the ball and I think he'll be a a favorite of Russell's in the end zone and with no other competition out of those big two similar to Tyler Higby being the third option in LA I think that's Everett here in Seattle on to the Niners next and we got four teams left so we're going to get in by the the skin of our teeth but Trey Lance I think is a winner to look at but I think the loser is really more important to me I think that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is really the loser where um, you know he had some nice quotes to the press where he just said he wants to help Trey Lance along clearly he's happy he's gotten paid enough here uh, but he felt like you know even what his situation with Tom Brady that was reported to be a little bit acrimonious he felt was still helpful for his growth and Tom did provide guidance I guess before he really felt like uh, the job was going to be taken away from him and go to Garoppolo um, and I think that's sort of the case for Garoppolo here where he's pretty clearly getting squeezed by a guy who's got more diverse skill set, a more talented uh, runner, obviously by a pretty wide margin, probably a guy who's going to be able to throw better, if not right now, pretty short form. Uh, so to me, Garoppolo just kind of losing the spot here. And now I think drifting into that part of the career, or the, the Andy Dalton stage of his career, where he's just going to go wherever there's a spot and a chance to start. I think he's the loser of the spot. Yeah, I'll say uh, Trey Lance, big winner in that the team traded up for him in a very good QB class, passed over Justin Fields for him, passed over all the the smoke screen uh, with Mac Jones. They have uh, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel. They have a really good run game. They have an inventive uh, coach in Shanahan. So I think everything is lining up for Trey Lance to succeed. And I think uh, I think it's just a great, great spot for him as a as a rookie quarterback with the kind of tools we like to see for fantasy. I think if Trey Lance starts most of the year, he's going to lead the league in those little touch pass touchdowns where like he just hands the ball off and they're just running the sort of tricky motion. And uh, that's definitely going to be helpful for him to get going. And statistically for fantasy, definitely going to help out uh, for Tampa Bay, the winners in this one. Um, I, I don't know if this is a win or loser thing, but I think it's interesting they took a QB in round two and Kyle Trask. And I think I will say <laughs> I'm the loser is Tom Brady. They clearly uh, they want him out the door now after he won them their first <laughs> Super Bowl ever. Um, I don't know. I just feel like they're a team that didn't do anything too impressive here. And it was an interesting move to me that they didn't get a little more help up top. Maybe just take that developmental QB later in the draft. But, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll say Tom Brady's a loser here just for just for shits and giggles. Yeah, I don't, I mean, they didn't do anything from uh, the kind of skill position perspective in the draft. They're just rolling out all their veterans. They did just sign Blaine Gabbert. So let's say between Kyle Trask and Blaine Gabbert, uh, I'm going to co-sign with you, Tom Brady, giant loser here, QB, QB battle here with Trask, Gabbert, and Brady. 
We'll see if he makes it out of training camp with that job, that, that Tom Brady. Uh, Tennessee, last second to last team here. Uh, the winner in this one, to me, going to be Anthony Ferkser, a guy who is going to get apparently unlimited tight end work. We'll see if he can hold up on a yards per route run basis, getting more work potentially at tight end. But they didn't take a tight end here. I don't know if that's because of Arthur Smith leaving. Maybe they're going to de-emphasize the tight end a little bit more. So that's the one risk point. But I just don't know what they're doing at tight end. And they are an offense who's loved the tight end. So I think, to me, Ferkser has to be the winner. I'm going to say like a very gross take that I don't even know if I can say with a straight face, but Josh Reynolds might be a winner coming Mm -hmm. over to the team in free agency. We saw last year, I mean, AJ Brown now is going to get the wide receiver one treatment from defenses. We saw Corey Davis just absolutely eat underneath in garbage time uh, in negative game scripts. I'm excited about Ferkser too. I'm just being a little contrarian here thinking someone else has to catch the ball in this offense. And I could see Josh Reynolds just having a ton of these kind of gross PPR games where it's like, you don't want to watch Josh Reynolds accumulate the production, but at the end of the game, when you look at the box score, it's not going to be that bad. Yeah. And he does have that bill that I think a lot of the coaches in front offices like, and it is worth pointing out. Tennessee does have two rookie wide receivers here. Des, just Pat, Des, Pat, excuse me, Des Fitzpatrick. I don't know why that was so hard to say and Racy McMath. So two guys who maybe uh, do also have kind of similar builds to Josh Reynolds. And I think this is one to me watching closely in training camp is going to be important because it wouldn't shock me if Reynolds underperformed too as a free agent guy. And they just like one of these guys more, but I think it's noteworthy. They drafted three guys who have basically the same body type. I think they had clearly a look they wanted to go for for their wide receiver too. I, I've never heard that Racy McMath. That sounds like one of these hot girl, like hot tub Twitch streamers. And she does like <laughs> algebra problems on the backboard. Like, welcome to Racy McMath. Today, we're going to be looking at the Pythagorean theorem, everyone. Honestly, I'd be kind of into that. I think that <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I even you doing the fake voice, I could kind of feel the, the blood flowing. <laughs> Have you seen the hot tub Twitch streamers? Have you seen those sets? I- I can't say that I have. It wouldn't be my first interest point, but I just know Twitch is any sort of implied nudity or anything remotely approximating it without getting banned. Uh, you're going to make a lot of money if you can do that. There's these, there's this genre of Twitch streamers and they've, I think they're in their homes. Like it's not even outside because like the acoustics and stuff would be, so they have these inflatable hot tubs. Then they get, you know, like flotation devices. So she's just like on some flotation unicorn and she just kind of bobs around and talks to the chat in a bikini for the duration of the Twitch stream. Uh, Racy McMath, we'll see you out in those streets. I mean, we have a hot tub here at an apartment building and I have no issue exploiting my girlfriend, I guess. If we get we get my camera rigged down there in a Wi-Fi connection, that's stable. So I'll keep that in mind. Spags is ending the show and going to order an inflatable hot tub right now. <laughs> uh, last team here, the Washington football team slash whatever name they're going to take here if they change it in the offseason. The winner to me is going to be Mr. Ryan Fitzpatrick, a guy that I am so excited that I really hope that they don't somehow do something dumb here at QB and start Taylor Heineke. I don't know that's going to happen here, but Fitzpatrick, I think, is going to make this offense so dynamic. And Diami Brown, I think, just by existing in this offense, if he's going to get run, can be propped up too. But Fitzpatrick, they did nothing here that makes me think, oh, they're not going to go full bore in the Ryan Fitzpatrick experiment. And I'm very excited to see it, even as a a, a sort of disavowed Cowboys fan. But um, the NFC East, I think, better be on watch here because it is going to be a fun time with Ryan Fitzpatrick at QB. Yeah, I mean, they they did the whole thing that, again, some of those teams like with Daniel Jones and Tua, I mean, they are throwing the kitchen sink at him with weapons. Curtis Samuel and Diami Brown, both kind of uh, playmakers there that add more elements. We're all excited to see another year of Antonio Gibson, uh, Terry McLaurin. No one doubts uh, how good he is. So, yeah, I mean, for, for Ryan Fitzpatrick, the whole thing has always been, can he stay healthy? You know, he loves to tuck and run. He loves to absorb the hits. He's still plays as if he's you know 25 years old so hopefully he can get coached up to stay in the pocket just make the throws uh and yeah i don't know if this team is going to actually be good you know but i think for fantasy they're going to be incredibly fun I got had one wide receiver hot take before, and I do think I would throw Terry McLaurin in the mix to be another guy in that hunt to be a top three to five wide receiver just because the upside there week to week. And maybe he doesn't have the overall target share, but it is Fitzpatrick, and he has made the guys like Devontae Parker look a lot better. Preston Williams looked like a world beater for stretches when Parker was out. I think to me, that's what Fitzpatrick brings. So a McLaurin, Allen Robinson, two guys that I just want to put my flags. I hate that phrase. I want to put my flags with these guys early on in the year, but I want to put my flags into them. That's just how it feels. Don't. Ever put your flag in anything by me, Specs. <laughs> it's honestly, it's like a flagpole being put anywhere would just be problematic. I think in a variety of ways. Um, let's talk about the playmakers concept here. And I, 
what's the best way you think we can disseminate the link? I'll put it in the, 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 this, what is it? The deposit kingdom discord yeah. uh, for Pete as well. So we can check that out and I'll drop the link in chat too. But uh, basically what we're going to do is we're going to do a rewatch of playmakers, the ESPN show. And if you're not familiar with it, I'm going to drop the link in the chat. Now this is another YouTube channel, which you can see, um, I guess the link might not come through, but copy and paste it if you want. Um, Basically, it's a show that if you're not familiar, I'll, I'll go to the Wikipedia page fast to make sure I have my years right. But this was a uh, 2003 is when it came out. This is a turnover. Um, it, oh God, it's crazy that's that long ago. I guess I was a, a young nubile teen at that point. Don't and, say uh, nubile on this show. <laughs> I, was, I was an extremely nubile teen in college when Playmakers came out. And um, I would say that it was one of those shows that uh, for somebody that demographic at that time frame, if you're familiar with some of the early 2000 shows like The Shield or... Um, even, you know, the Sopranos to some extent, like it was one of those, like a little more edgy shows, definitely edgy for ESPN and too edgy for the NFL where, because they were renegotiating a media deal with the NFL at the time, ESPN was like kowtowing to them left and right. And I think this might've been around the time frame a few years later when Bill Simmons started to have his NFL problems too, where basically ESPN was just bent over backwards to make the NFL happy left and right. And Playmakers was a show people loved, but um, too controversial for the NFL. It did have things like uh, steroid use that have guys getting shot at clubs that have domestic violence that have guys with concussion issues a lot of shit and pete now that you've heard all this i know i pitched this to you as one of our, our draft ideas in our off-season episode idea draft how much do you know about playmakers honestly very little uh basically everything you told me i was researching it a little bit reading about the kind of controversy uh but yeah i'm excited to watch it and uh yeah i think sharing the links in the discord uh makes sense too and so yeah if you guys hang out with us we have the splash play uh, channel in the deposit kingdom discord that links down below and uh, yeah i think we'll uh, we'll make it a segment we'll have a little bit of homework collectively as a community to watch an episode and we'll make sure to uh, let you guys know which episode we're on each week yeah, so we're, there are, uh, let's see, there are 11 episodes in total, so this should carry us right through to training camp is my was my goal and our goal in planning this one out. So uh, we're going to drop the episodes, do one a week here. Um, some weeks, maybe it'll be a full, the full Splash Ray episode will be dedicated to it because we'll have nothing else to talk about. It'll be the best thing to hit on. But basically, the goal is watch one episode a week along with us. Pete and I will be watching an episode. We'll bring some degree of note-taking to it, too, so we won't just be uh, half-assing our way through it. But we're going to dissect this one, like the art form that it is, and I think uh, we're all going to have a lot of fun. If you've not watched show before I, I haven't watched it in 18 years so i'll be right there along with you guys um but just pete some of the episode titles i'll read for you number one game day number two the piss man is episode number two <laughs> so the, okay. yeah so we're getting right into it right away and then and i think there are no other fun episodes but the piss man being episode number two really i feel like set the tone for it all um and it's an exciting show and one that uh is football adjacent so tune in here pete what are the final plugs for you you have so many things going on it's impossible to keep up it's impossible to keep up. Yeah, I, I'm settling into a regular schedule now. Tuesdays, Club Top Shot. Wednesday, we have lulls and ship chasing. Thursday, randomizer drafts. Friday, splash play. So, you know, we're, we're on the straight and narrow now. The, the randomizer's back. By the way, am I going to get to weasel my way into the randomizer this year? Because you have so many big names going. Field Gates popping up. Have a little shine for your old pal Spags on the colored wheel of doom. Yeah, I have uh, I have uh, some ideas for that. Maybe we could do a splash play randomizer uh, crossover at. I would, I would love to do it. I just want to be a part of the randomness. That's really what appeals to me. Make sure to follow at Peter Overs at follow at Chris Bax, follow at Splash Play Pod. Extra crucial now because we'll put those play uh, playmakers links out there uh, from the uh, very reputable YouTube channels that will have these episodes. And uh, Willis apparently has some DVDs too. So if we run out of our of our YouTube channels, we can always pirate them on our own under a fake channel uh, to pretend nobody heard that one. Uh, but we appreciate you guys for being here. Hit that like button before you go. Subscribe to Peach Channel and the Splash Play Channel. We'll see you guys again soon. Enjoy your weeks. Good luck.